0: This is In The Trenches, broadcast 16.
1: Welcome to In The Trenches, where entrepreneurs, artists, writers, designers, inventors, warriors and leaders share their stories of doing the hard, creative work that impacts all of our lives. Let the journey inspire you to do something worthwhile build something bold, and create your life's work. And now, your host, Tom Morgus.
0: Welcome back, everyone, to another broadcast of In the Trenches. Today's guest is best-selling fiction writer Jason Andrew Bond. Jason is the author of Hammerhead, a book with 105 five-star reviews on Amazon as of this interview. He's also the author of the book Mortal Remains and a new short story called Iron Crow which I recently read and reviewed and really enjoyed. After the success of Hammerhead, Jason decided to give 25% of profit from all of sales of Hammerhead to support disabled U.S. veterans. And I think it really speaks to Jason's character. So I'm just very thankful to have Jason on the call today. So, Jason, thank you so much for being on the call with us today.
2: Well, thanks for having me, Tom. I appreciate it.
0: Absolutely. So I'd like to just know a little bit more about your background and how you got started writing.
2: Well, uh, I uh, I started out wanting to write when I was 11 years old. I wrote my first short story um uh, at 11. It was called The No Thanksgiving. It was all about uh, pirates coming to London in uh uh in the olden times uh, on Thanksgiving Day. And I gave it to my dad to have him read it and he turned around and he said, "Well, there's no Thanksgiving in England." So I got my first critic along with my first short story. But um <laughs> I like since, it. Yeah, so ever since then I've been I've been playing around with short stories and uh, you know as a hobby on the side and uh, yeah it's been something I've been passionate about for a long time.
0: Okay. So when did you um it was Hammerhead then your first book?
2: Hammerhead was my first book. Now I'd always wanted to be a writer, so I've been written short stories, I had stuff in high school, I took creative fiction in, in high school, had a great instructor named Robert Baldwin, not to be confused with the the famous writer, but Um, And then I got my degree, my bachelor's in English literature, um, along with a bunch of creative writing at the University of Oregon, all for that purpose. And then I realized I needed a job. So I ended up in the business world for many years. So it took me a long time to come back around to actually sit down and be able to take the time to put together a novel, develop the maturity and the work ethic.
0: Sure. So then, so what was your first foray into um, a full-length novel, um, Hammerhead, or had you written full-length novels before, and this was the first one that you uh, published? Or what's the story behind that?
2: This is the first one. Um, Like I said, I had a lot of short stories. I had a lot of ideas for novels. I'd started a lot, but I'd never really gotten very far. And so um, I had been uh, the operations manager at a local blood bank here in town, and my wife and I got into a situation where we could finally afford it, and she'd always wanted to see me take it on. Uh, and I'm really thankful for her. And uh, so we sat down one day and we said, well, let's let's go for it. So I left my job, and I picked one of the short stories I had. It was a short story called Scrapyard. Um, and I decided to blow it into a novel because I knew it would be kind of an action novel, and it might be kind of a, a, an easier theme to attack as opposed to something that had a lot of, you know, I don't know what else. It just seemed like it would be a good one for me to take on. And that turned into Hammerhead.
0: Sure, and then that book, Hammerhead, seemed, seems like it's, it's really resonated with, with veterans. Why is that?
2: Well, the main character, Jeffrey Holt, is a veteran uh, from a war that happens 40 years before Hammerhead takes place. I wanted to deal with a hero that was a little different than the usual hero, so I took a 60-year-old man that's kind of a, a nobody working in a scrapyard, recycling spaceships that are crash-landed in the Nevada desert. He goes out a big mechanized and I suit, tears him apart. And when he tears away the cab of one of the ships that's supposed to be autopiloted into the desert, there's bodies on board. So he climbs into the cab, and one of the bodies grabs his ankle. Um, but so what I wanted to do with that character was kind of deal with someone that no one expected would, would be able to do things. And as I developed that character, I started laying in the um, the elements of post-traumatic stress disorder and how much war had affected him negatively with survivors' guilt and things along those lines. Because you know, when you look at veterans and how they cope with the the experiences they had, sometimes you'll have veterans that never even did anything themselves. They didn't do any, you know, thing that someone would say, Well that's that's really tough that you had to deal with that. But just being in the situation, maybe even seeing someone else do something that was harsh they, they take away survivor's guilt, and it can be very traumatic for them. So in dealing with those themes in Jeffrey Holt, I think I had a lot of people from the Vietnam era. I even had somebody from the Korean War get in touch with me who could really relate to that character. They're older. They've moved on with their lives, and yet still they have these echoes from 40 years ago that are interacting with their lives today. And when I got those feedbacks, I came to realize that the reason Hammerhead had got onto the bestseller list is because these veterans were the ones who were recommending it to their friends. And that's when I decided, well, if they're giving back to me, I need to do something for them, because I really do believe in these folks and the, and the sacrifices that they're willing to make. And uh, that's when I decided to start uh, doing the donation to Vets.
0: Yeah, no, that's really awesome. Did you expect Hammerhead to do as well as it did?
2: No, not at all. I, I thought for sure that it was going to be a quick action novel. They, they always say it takes, what, 10,000 hours, maybe 10 years of hard work to develop mastery of a subject. And I had... Um, I expected Hammerhead to be something that I could, you know, self-publish and give it to my friends and have them read it, get some feedback on it and go back and work to the other one. And I remember watching the bestseller lists and I was looking at Hammerhead one day just to see, you know, if I'd gotten any more reviews. I think I had maybe 20 good reviews. I was looking at it all. Of a sudden I saw at the bottom it says bestsellers rank, you know, such and such, um, like 83 or 87 on the top 100 sci-fi and fantasy for Amazon. I was like, what is that? What does that mean? You know, so it was really a huge shock to me.
0: Yeah. So, how has that impacted then your career as a writer, having this um, initial success? Because to me, it seems very rare. Uh, You don't hear many authors come out with their first first go round, and that's not to say you didn't put in the work years before. You you had mentioned that you've been writing your whole life, but to say that the first, essentially the first book shipped, uh, is such a resounding success. How has that impacted your career as a writer?
2: It's really, it's a really important thing. I was talking with a guy named Nathan Lowell, who's a really good independent science fiction uh, writer. Uh, if anyone's interested in having heard of him, he's, he's somebody to look at, Nathan Lowell. Um, but I was emailing with him, interacting with him. I got uh, the opportunity to do a uh, an anthology uh, called Walk of Fire with him. And so I, I met him and I talked to him. I said, hey, I'm kind of struggling with how to deal with this. I realized that success early sometimes can be detrimental because you might have your expectations set wrong. And, um, it, it is difficult because there's so much, it can be very addictive to be on the bestseller list. All of a sudden you're on the bestseller list and you start watching your rank all the time and you start seeing the reviews come in. Um, and there's a lot to learn there. Um, one of the things is, no matter who you are, if you get up on the bestseller list, somebody's going to try and knock you down. You're going to get some one-star reviews that you'd read and you think, well, did they read the same book? So there's some learning as far as having a thick skin, letting things go. There's some learning about when it does fall off the bestseller list, how do you feel? And I'll tell you, you don't feel good. It's so addictive to be feeling like, man, I'm really successful. And all of a sudden, you fall off and you're thinking, oh, man, how do I get this thing back up there? What do I do? What do I do? Um, and so it's um, It's a challenge. It wouldn't seem like it's a challenge. It's one of those things I think, well, to have those problems would be uh, good, but it is a psychological toughening that you have to go through and realize, okay, well, now I'm back to square one. I need to sit down and start writing again. I don't need to worry about the sales of that book. I need to just, just get in there and start working again. And like you mentioned, it's important to mention, um, I did do a lot of work. I was the kid in high school. We used to have to wrap our books in... uh uh, butcher paper. At our school, they made us wrap all our textbooks in butcher paper to protect them. And uh, mine had stories written on them. Everything, everything I had, I had notebooks <laughs> and notebooks of stories. So I was always working on. It. So I've been working on it a lot, but it just happens to be the first thing I put out there, kind of triggered with people. So, what
0: is uh, what is your routine like? How do you? And act the discipline to write a full-length novel, um, and in and, and, and such a quality that it sells and the people want to read it.
2: Oh yeah, I'm really glad you asked that question because that is really, really important. Um, and, and the answer is going to be different for every single person. So one of the things that they say is you got to write hundreds and hundreds of hours. But one of the things that you're doing as you're writing those hundreds of hours is figuring out what your process is, and it's, it's different for every person. For me, I figured out that I have to write in the morning. when when my brain's sharp, and I have to do breaks. So what I do is I sit down at 8.30. That's when my workday starts. I sit down at 8.30, and I write for 45 minutes. That first 45 minutes is a free write, and then I write a 1,000 words of rough draft as fast as I can. I mean, anything. I'll I'll just see, okay, I'll I'll imagine a scene, and I'll I'll write the 1,000 words. Sometimes I'm focused on something. Like I might be working on, I'm doing a serialized fiction right now where I write a scene. And at the end of the scene, I ask a question like, "Does the border agent let the person through or not?" And then I give that to my emailing list, um, and then everybody responds to me and answers the question. It's totally democratic. So whatever they decide, what happens next, I write the next scene that way. So I work on maybe the thousand words of that that situation, and then I go into editing. I'll work on editing. But when my 45-minute timer goes off, I set a 45-minute timer. When it goes off, I get up and I set another timer for 15 minutes. And I go and I do something physical. I've been trying to learn to play the piano or I'll clean around the house. or, And then when that 15-minute timer goes off, I go straight back, sit down another 45 minutes. And I do that for four hours. And I can actually keep going. So that's three solid hours of editing, writing, whatever it is, in, in the very beginning of my day. And, uh, by, and it's taken me years to figure out exactly not only how I work best with those 45 minute increments, but developing the self-discipline to, to make sure that I do it. And what that is, is do I really want to do this? And when I had Hammerhead do well and then it fell off the list and I was feeling kind of down because it was off the list, I went through this whole emotional reaction of do I really want to be a professional writer? Do I want, I could just go back to the business world. And I, I had to go through that gauntlet of emotions and realize, yeah, I really do want to be a professional writer. And then when I realized that, that's when I got really serious about scheduling my time and getting to work and being really strict with myself.
0: That's awesome. I really like your process, too, and just the, uh, the psychology behind it, because I, I think initially if, if somebody were to look at a writer's process or any, anybody's, any professional's process, creative process, every, every single one is unique. And I think sometimes people look at it superficially and say, Well, that's what I have to do. But I, I like that you pointed out that this is you know, very much it's unique to you and it took you a while to figure it out, even to essentially you're figuring yourself out as as an artist, as a creator, and figuring out where you're you most optimal. Would you say that's true?
2: Oh yeah, absolutely. It's it's absolutely critical. Every everyone's different and they say, Okay, well what do you have to do? You have to outline. Now, if I outline, I destroy my story. I cannot outline. I have to just write it just like what was it? I think it was William Faulkner said that what he does is he imagines interesting people and then chases them with his pencil as fast as he can. Um, that's how I have to write. What that means is I have a lot of editing to do because I end up with really, really, really messy rough drafts. Um, but if I try and clean it out beforehand, I get so self-doubting that I shut it down. Now other people they have to lay it all out before they write the scene. So it's it's really you got to figure out what's right for you.
0: How long did it take you before you you found out that no this is this is the process I have to do I have to avoid outlining uh, outlining I have to accept that I'm gonna create a lot of writing that's gonna require a lot of editing but that's my process when when did you when were you like this is this is my process and you were certain of it
2: I, I did National Novel Writing Month I, I'll be honest with you some people don't like that I love it. I do it every year National Novel Writing Month anybody who's interested in writing should try that out if they haven't done it because it's really interesting, because it's a way of exploring that really messy way of writing. Even if you're an outliner, you should just try different things. It's like if you're in martial arts. Oh, I've always just done karate. It's like, have you ever tried Jeet Kune Do? Have you ever tried Jiu-Jitsu? No, I never have. You might love it ten times more, or you might not like it at all. So you should try these things out. Well, for Hammerhead, it took me two years to write the rough draft of Hammerhead, because I kept going, and I'd go back, and I didn't quite like this, and then I'd lose, mo- lose motivation, and I, ah, maybe I'll change this. Hammerhead Resurrection is the sequel to that I've been working on. It's twice as long, and I wrote the rough draft in three months because I developed my process so much better. And um, it's, for me, it's a matter of if I look back at all, if I look back at all, I start doubting what they're doing, and I start editing those scenes, and I lose the, like Faulkner said, as far as chasing interesting people, I lose the interest in the story. And if I can keep that interest going it really does well. One of the things I do is if I'm right in the middle of a really interesting scene, I'll stop myself before that scene's over so the next day when it's time to start again, I really want to know what happens to the people as opposed to having the scene closed and then I have to reignite the fire.
0: Yeah, no, that's, that's great. I, I'm curious. I had read, I forget which author brought this up, and maybe it was Stephen Pressfield in War of Art. He made some reference to Something that I always I always really appreciated. He said something like he kind of fell in love with his characters that he was writing to such a degree that like he was saying that you know he'd rather spend time with his characters than say out socializing or something like that. I, and that might be you know misinterpreting it, but I think that was the general gist of it. I, is, have you found anything like that as a fiction writer that you've just been thro- so enthralled with the characters that you're creating and you find them so interesting that that you know I guess almost to the degree that they're, they could be more interesting than, you know, other people in real life. I don't know. I mean, that's a bad way to put it, but <laughs> you, I think you know what I mean.
2: Yeah, I know exactly what you're saying. And they do become they do become very special to you. Um, a lot of people wanted me to write uh, a sequel to Hammerhead. I kept getting requests. They wanted to know what happened to the war 40 years before. They wanted to know what happened to Jeffrey Holt when he was young, because I referred to it kind of very lightly in the book. And I got all these requests for that. And honestly, I, I didn't really know if I had a sequel in me. I I didn't even know what to do with a sequel. I ended up going 10 years into the future when the the, the background on Hammerhead Hammerhead is that an alien race showed up, got into a war off planet, maybe Saturn and Mars. There was a huge war that never reached Earth. And I wanted to play on the theme like with the Nazi Holocaust where some people say it never happened. And I've noticed that as we get generations away from a certain war, it's easy to forget how bad they were. Um, and so I had this whole political group of people that were saying the war never happened, that it was just a political farce by the military to justify themselves, and that all the veterans were just people that had memory implants, put it. And Jeffrey Holt was supposed to be one of these people. So there's a whole question in Hammerhead of, is he crazy or was it real? And so what I wanted to do is move 10 years in the future and actually bring that alien race back twice as strong and then have the war go to Earth and see what happens um, when they fail. So you have the Hammerheads with this, with this elite flight group uh, that were genetically modified to be able to handle really high G-forces. What happens if they fail to protect the Earth this time? So it's kind of a, I don't know, turn it on its head and see what happens. And that's what happened was, I didn't really know if I wanted to revisit these characters. I felt like their story was done. Um, and the minute I sat down and started writing a scene with Stacy, Zach, and Leif, Holt, and, and Jeffrey Holt, Oh, oh man, I wanted to know what they were going to do. How much had they grown? I was very curious about them. And it was really kind of a strange experience. Um, somebody said once of uh, Herman Wolf's War in Remembrance that it was a really good book and he knew it was a good book because he found himself wondering what they had done with their lives after the book had ended. And, uh, yeah, you do tend to do that. Now, me personally, I'm really social. So being a writer, one of the challenges I have is it's really hard for me to sit in, a, in an office all by myself and, and, and write. Um, so by the time I'm done with my four hours of writing, I'm, I'm itching to get outside. And I do jujitsu, so I can't wait to get down to the dojo and see my friends. And I, I really need that face-to-face interaction. But I have heard of people and like I say, everybody's different. I had a friend that got the chance to talk with George R. R. Martin. And she said, how do you keep all these people straight? And he says, because I live in Westeros, it is my reality. So he's one of those people that, you know, he'd much rather be in Westeros in his, in his with his characters. Than do with regular people.
0: Yeah, that's I just find that very interesting. Which I guess begs the question then: What are you drawn for your creative inspiration? Um, you mentioned jujitsu. Is that do you do you get creative inspiration from doing jujitsu, from doing martial arts, or do you you know you listen to music, movies, anything like that?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um, there's a lot of um, like with Art, The very seed for Hammerhead. I was in the shower. And a lot of people say their creative time is in the shower because I think you kind of hit a zen state when you're sitting there, you know, just staring at the, the hot water. But I um, I just saw a guy stand up on the Nevada mountain ridge and a spaceship just streaking in over the ridge and slamming into the desert floor. I don't know where it came from. I just, well, oh, that's interesting. Let's explore that concept. So I sat down. I started working with the scene where the ship goes by and then, okay, well, what happens in there? So the seeds, I don't know where they come from. And I think when you start out as a writer, a lot of people, it just kind of something triggers them and they feel like, nah, eh, that's kind of interesting. For me, I've got a lot of the underdog um, and I do throw in a lot of martial arts. I've got a uh, formal rank in seven different martial arts um, because I got bullied a lot when I was a kid. I was real skinny when I was in high school. I moved around a lot. So I think there's something to be said with your 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 underlying psychology and it's really well expressed in Zen and the Art of Writing by Ray Bradbury because he talks about what we really need to be writing about. I think people sometimes trigger it, but we need to ask ourselves what we're really afraid of, what we really love. Those things are really really strong emotions. We need to ask ourselves in our own in our own hearts what those things are and then dig those up and see if we can find out. Like there's something about how he was really afraid when he was a kid of merry-go-rounds. And that's where something wicked this way comes, came from. It's like, how creepy can a merry-go-round be? Um, and for me, I, a lot of my themes come from being that kid that got pushed around and I was the underdog and et cetera, et cetera. And what would it be like if I got to interact with one of my bullies today, you know, after, after so many years of training? And, and then I get to play that out in a story. So,
0: yeah, absolutely. No, I think that's, that's really fascinating. And I haven't read that book, but I definitely want to pick it up, The Zen and the Art of Writing. Um, so I guess, you know, I, I'm, I'm curious too, you know, kind of coming back towards, you know, at the beginning of the conversation where we were talking about your initial success, um, I meant to ask you this. Has this, you know, has that success shaped how you're planning on delivering this next book, um, both in terms of uh, marketing and sales and your expectations uh, for how well it will do?
2: It would have a year or so ago. I was really freaking out about, okay, I've got to make sure I put someone back on the bestseller list. I've got to make this work. I've got to make this work. I was really freaking out about that. And that's one of those things I had to calm down. And it's almost that zen state. They talk about how you have to forget about your target while you're still moving towards it. You, you, it's, it's, it's a real strange state where you have to let go of it. I got a chance to talk with a guy named Robert Degoni, who's a uh, New York Times best-selling uh, criminal thriller writer. And he said that his brother-in-law was a really famous portrait photographer. He's photographed Nick Jagger. He's photographed Bill Clinton. And he said to him in a a dark time in his writing career, if you focus on the money, you'll lose your dreams. If you focus on your dreams, the money will follow. So you really do have to forget about that whole thing. Now, I was talking with Nathan Lowell uh, via email, and I was having a hard time because I was trying to figure out how to market my books. And I was saying to him, like, I don't know whether I should advertise on Google. I don't know if I should try and do this. I should do that. What should I do? And he wrote me back, and he said, first thing, I always remember this, the first three letters was, first thing, stop. And the whole idea was, don't worry so much about marketing your work. Get out there and write. Now, I can't remember who it was, but someone talked at a writer's conference. I was reading a book on writing, and they talked about a writer's conference. And uh, the guy came out, famous writer, And he said, how many people in the room want to be writers? And, of course, every hand went up. And he said, what are you doing here then? Meaning that you should be at home (laughs) writing. So, yeah, it's really one of those things where me personally, I've had to let that go, try not to worry about it too much, just keep writing and see what happens.
0: Yeah, absolutely. um, Are you planning on um, self-publishing this or have, have you had any publishers contact you? What's your deal with that?
2: That's, that's, a, that's a big question. Right now, I'm trying to stay independent, trying to be a self-published author because if I wanted a boss, I could just go back into business. You know, I can go back to the blood bank and say, hey, you need right. I, I don't really want a boss. I want to do it myself. And it's cool because I actually own my own business now. I created my own publishing company. I've got Camorra Publishing LLC. Um, I, I run my sales through that. Um, you know, marketing expenses come out of that. Um, and the way things work right now, Nathan Lowell gave me a really good, I keep going back to Nathan Lowell, but he's, he's such a nice guy. You know, he was so helpful to me. I, I'm, I'm glad to use his name a lot. He um, he gave me his model for success. And He's actually a, a fairly successful independent writer. And what he does is he works on friendships. So what he does is he makes sincere friends. He even said to me, he said, it's not about Facebook friends. It's about real friends. And these are people that he interacts with, he has solid relationships with, he talks to them, you know, he'll interact with them. And those people go on his emailing list. And so when he writes a book, right now he says he only has about a thousand people on there, but the people that know him and he knows them basically from interacting online and email and maybe even he knows them face to face. So what happens is he writes a new book, he puts it out there and then he emails his thousand people and those thousand people in the next couple of days go and buy it and it launches him up into the bestseller categories. Where other people see it who don't know him and then they go ahead and buy it. And I thought that was interesting because when I was interacting with one of my readers and I said, hey, oh, do you have any you know, good writers to recommend? He immediately told me that I should read Nathan Lowell. So what happens is people start recommending him to other people, but it has to be sincerity. It's not a matter of, okay, I've got to collect a thousand names and then I'll be successful. You know, you need, you need to give as much as you get from these people. You really need to have a Solid relationship with them, and I like that. That's not, see, the beauty of being independent is I make more money off every sale. You know, you'll get, you know, a dollar if you're published off every book sale, but I get 70% off of mine. So I can run much lower sales and have a much closer relationship with my reading group, and I really like that. So that's why I'm trying to keep that going, is because I don't want to get this big barrier between me and my readers.
0: Absolutely. And I actually see that trend more and more. Uh, I'm sure it's been there for a while. And, and I know relationships have always been important uh, to, you know, to the artistic community and everything like that. Writers, um, artists, anybody creating something. But more now than ever, I think it's essential to create those relationships. What brought what, what made you think of doing the serialization, doing yeah. something like that, kind of kind of getting into and connecting with your audience that way and asking them for feedback? What What made you think of that?
2: We get a lot of feedback from people after the fact, you know, like Iron Crow. I write Iron Crow, I polish it, and I smooth it down, and I get it out there. And then people write back and say, hey, I really like it, but what about this? And I really like this, but what about that? And I thought, what would it be strange if during the process, like every scene, I had some feedback. Um, and so that was what spurned it. And what I'm realizing is there's another really important factor of it as well it's really, really hard to write a scene that's good enough to give away, but I'm not editing. Because so like I said, my process is I can't go back and edit on these things, so I can just do a couple quick edits. Um, I tend to take too long editing, so it's kind of a personal challenge to be brave enough to give stuff to people that's maybe not finished product, um, and they need to accept the fact that it's not going to be perfect. But So it's kind of a challenge for me as a writer to grow a little bit and see what happens.
0: And has the response been positive from your readers?
2: Uh, yeah, so far. Actually, I haven't given the first scene away. So it's just starting now, um, but it is um, so far the people are really excited about. It. They want to see the first thing. So,
0: I, I guess I'd like to wrap up by by asking you a, a kind of general question. You probably get it a ton, but uh, you know if you were you know sitting in front of an audience of uh, you know people who want to be writers, right? You know maybe maybe in that that kind of context, they're they're at a writing seminar or something like that, or any kind of creative. Uh, what, what what recommendation would you have for them for the person just starting out?
2: Oh yeah, thank you for asking that. I, I, really, I really like doing that because of the mistakes I've made in my past. If I can go back, if I can go back to 16 years old when I really kind of, because when I was 11, you know, you're kind of silly and you're just doing this and that. 16 is where I really started getting it into my heart. If I could go back to being 16 years old, the one thing I do differently is write every day for at least five minutes without fail. Every single day of my entire life, even Christmas Day, Easter Sunday, whatever it is, five minutes. And if I had done that, I think I'd be 15, 20 years ahead of where I am right now. So if somebody's interested in being a writer, there's two pieces of advice I always give. Go home tonight and write for five minutes, and then do that again as long as your heart's beating. Don't don't ever skip it. Even, I mean, five minutes. It's easy to find. I mean, unless something horrible happens that day. But the other thing is mentorship is critical, so you need to be reading about writing. From, you know, like you say, like uh War on Art is a great book to read. Uh, you had mentioned that. Uh, what was the author's name again? Steven?
0: Stephen Pressfield. Yeah. Big
2: fan. Yeah, that's that's a good book to read. Um, uh, Zen and the Art of Writing is good. Um, uh, I have a whole list. If anybody's curious about good books to read, they can shoot me an email. I'd be glad to share them. I've read a lot of them. But just five minutes a day of reading. So f- five minutes a day of writing, five minutes a day of reading. And then you do that. And you just can't go wrong. But the readings got to be positive and constructive. So if you start reading a book and it says, oh, it's really hard to be a writer. Close the book and throw it away. Read the books that are energized and positive.
0: Excellent. I like it. Really good advice. Well, Jason, where can people uh, catch you? Um, you know, are you on Twitter, you know, your website, uh, and your books? Tell us a little bit about where people can reach out to you and connect with you and also get your, get your products.
2: Uh, the core of my uh, my universe there is www.jasonandrewbond.com. I threw a middle name in there to kind of separate me from James Bond. I didn't want people to think I was writing spy <laughs> Um And uh, I'm on Twitter. I'm on Facebook. And like I say, one of the things I'm really excited about is this um the serialized uh, fiction I'm doing where I'm going to do a scene and have everybody tell me about it. And I'd like as much feedback as I can get. So if anybody wants to get on that, they can go on my website, sign up for my emailing list. And then once a month I'm going to shoot out a scene and they can vote on it. And uh, I'd like to have as much input as I could, because it's going to be a big challenge. I think it's going to be a lot of fun.
0: Awesome. Well, I'll make sure that that's in the show notes and people can reach out to you and and be a part of that and see how it works. So Jason, thank you so much for being here with us today, man. It was really great talking to you.
2: Tom, I appreciate the time. I thank you for uh, letting me be part of your, your work there.
0: And that concludes today's broadcast, Broadcast 16. If you want to see the show notes, go to TomMorcus.com slash Broadcast 16, and that's the number 16. Thank you so much for listening. I really hope you enjoyed today's broadcast. And if you did, please leave a rating and review in the iTunes store. Thank you in advance for your support. As always, this is Tom Morcus. If you're listening to this, you are the resistance.
1: Thank you for listening to In The Trenches. Your creative work doesn't stop here. Join the resistance, the small but growing army of entrepreneurs and artists putting a dent in the world at www.tommorcus.com. Never fight alone. Join the resistance.